Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. Just 40% of transgender people are out to all of their health care providers, according to the 2015 U.S. Transgender Survey by the National Center for Transgender Equality. Many trans patients delay health care out of fear that their medical needs won't be met or respected. I haven't gone to the dentist in four or five years because it's just such an uncomfortable experience. I know people who, if they sprain their ankle, will just wrap it up and put some ice on it rather than going to the ER and having an x-ray done um, because it's just not worth the stress. But way out in western Massachusetts, one rural clinic is providing health care that's attracting people from all over New England. TransHealth Northampton is the first of its kind. Not only is it the first standalone trans medical and mental health care organization in the nation, but it's the first to be led by transgender medical professionals for patients who are part of the transgender community. TransHealth opened its doors during both a pandemic and a time of increased violence against trans people, not to mention a time when a barrage of anti-trans bills have been proposed and passed by GOP-led states. Because of this, TransHealth is more than just a health care clinic. It's a national symbol that shows the trans community can and will take care of itself while improving the health care system as a whole. Joining me now, Dallas Ducar, founding CEO of TransHealth Northampton and a nurse practitioner. Welcome, Dallas. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Also with me, Katie Wolf, COO of TransHealth Northampton, who specializes in digital health, informatics, and transgender health. Thanks for joining us, Katie. So delighted to be here. Well, I want to start this way, Dallas. When we say comprehensive, and that's what TransHealth Northampton is, what do we mean exactly? Specifically lay out what you're offering. Well, TransHealth Northampton offers comprehensive, I sometimes even say holistic care. That includes adult primary care. That includes pediatric primary care. That includes hormonal care, mental health care non-clinical services, such as patient advocacy to really support the community. We also offer and are starting to really develop research, education, other forms of advocacy, really building out our other pillars as well. Um, But this really does include being able to see anyone, not just for the hormones that they might need, not just for a surgical referral, but for any type of healthcare that anyone should expect. And, And comprehensive really also means widening the bounds of what healthcare can cover too. So this doesn't just mean what happens in the clinic, right? This doesn't just mean what happens between you and the provider, but this means what happens in our community room, right? We have a clothing closet. We have support groups for all ages. We had a theater group that was happening the other night. Healthcare shouldn't just be about what happens in that sterile field, but instead it should really be a place where you can be yourself. And that means being able to have a space that is comprehensive for all of your needs, not just what the insurers or your provider decide your needs are. 
that's a, a bit of what uh, some medical experts refer to as social determinants of health, that you don't just treat the physicality of the person, but you have to look at their surroundings, their circumstances, because that plays a part as well. Yes, that's exactly right. And that was really part of the initial survey that we had done when we tried to begin TransHealth Northampton, is we really wanted to look at the different social determinants of health and understand how people would really be able to access our services and what needs we had to address. That study was called the PATH Project. And really we found that accessibility was an issue. Uh, you know, there were language barriers, there were socioeconomic barriers, there were barriers in just how people were seen too. Having the right name or the right pronouns just used in the first place was a huge barrier. Uh, to many because they really were not able to just be able to find a place where they could experience trust in the first place. One of our patients had said, you know, that it, other practices, they felt like they were a box to be checked, but at trans health, there's no box to check. They can just be themselves. And that's really what we strive to do is to create that culture of trust, one where we address the social determinants of health, but then also really promote an environment where people can be their authentic selves. That's my guest, Dallas Dukar. She is the CEO of Trans Health Northampton. Now, Katie Wolf, you're the COO. A question to you is why Northampton? Why Western Massachusetts? How did it come to be that there would be Trans Health Northampton? Thank you for the question. I think it's really important. Um, there are organizations that provide transgender health in the Boston area part of different hospitals like Mass General, um, Fenway, Beth Israel, Deaconess, and a lot of people from Western Massachusetts we found were traveling out to the area. So people are getting in their cars and traveling two, three hours from New England to get there. What we found is that there are a large number of trans and gender diverse people all throughout New England, but specifically in Western Massachusetts, who um, were not necessarily being served. There was affirming care here, but not nearly enough to service the population of the area. And so really, it led to that um, rationing of care that we heard at the beginning of this segment, where people are deferring care and really thinking, do I need to go to Providence or Boston and drive that far to receive my care? So when we really thought about this, we've said, you know, urban areas are still underserved, but there's more care there. What are we doing to serve less urban areas, more rural areas, and really make sure that trans people in all areas are served? Now, there was a needs assessment done, and it showed that about 9,000 people in your area probably could benefit from, as you describe it, affirming care. In all of Massachusetts, there's probably uh, 30,000 trans or gender diverse residents, just by way of you know contrast so people understand how to think about this. What are your numbers now in terms of how many patients you have coming? We have about 1,000 patients that have registered with us and that we've seen since our beginning opening in May. So, and that's without really much of any advertising at all. So we're seeing a large number of people, but not just from the Northampton area. We have people who come to us from upstate New York. We have people who are coming to us from Boston um, because there's such a wait to get care there, uh, Vermont, uh, Connecticut, and other states. So we're seeing people from all over the area. And thus far, we've seen about a thousand. And as we continue to grow, that number is growing more rapidly than we can keep up with. 
So when we talk about affirming care, we're we're really talking about being seen, as uh, Dallas said earlier, as a whole person, but also paying particular attention to your needs as a transgender person without, I guess, bias or assumption would be the way that I would put it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I wanted to give an example to my listeners. If you're thinking, well, what does that mean exactly when somebody shows up in a place not Trans Health Northampton? And um, the Oregonian has done a video in which they talk to a lot of transgender people about their experiences, their bad experiences, actually, not being able to access this kind of care. So here is a trans man describing his experience with urinary tract infections and how his doctor was ignorant to his needs. I've had a history of urinary tract infections. It was pretty um, commonplace for me. And I went to the urgent care and the physician on staff that I was dealing with kept telling me over and over how atypical it was for a man to be having a series of urinary tract infections. I tried to interrupt him and say, I understand, you know, I've been through a gender transition, so my anatomy is probably not what you expect it to be. And he kept stopping me. He wouldn't let me complete and assuring me that he did understand, he did understand. And he said, I think I would like to take a look. So I, I pulled down my pants and it wasn't at all what he expected and he was immediately apologetic. He said, oh, you don't have, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize. I said, I, I know, we tried to tell you. So Dallas Dukar, when you hear that, you know, how do you respond? Well, I mean, that's just absolutely terrible. It should be the bare minimum, the bare minimum that you should be able to go to a healthcare provider and you should be able to receive basic healthcare and be treated for what someone's trained to be treated to treat you in without having to explain yourself. It's just absolutely horrendous. But moreover, I really believe that we should be creating spaces where people can actually see themselves in their provider, where it's not a space where they have to explain themselves, but instead a space where they can actually be inspired by the provider and say, hey, this is this is really uh proof that I also can be a successful adult or that I can actually navigate through life as well. And unfortunately, that's definitely not happening because there's a dearth of trans people hired across the country in healthcare settings. But even more so, we're just seeing countless examples like that, where people have to go to medical settings, have to explain themselves, feel bad for having to explain themselves, don't get their problem resolved, and then end up not returning to that medical setting. And at TransHealth Northampton, we have seen patients that haven't received medical care in 10 to 15 years. Some patients having to be emergently directed right to our local ED because their vitals were abnormal and they haven't received care in so long. And this is really the problem, right? When people are not seen and have to explain themselves and have to teach their providers and discriminated against in primary care settings, it leads to increased morbidity, mortality, and cost to the system. So how do people find you? I know you've heard that, that kind of story, unfortunately, a lot of times by the time they reach you. But is it word of mouth? Because you're not advertising. And there's a privacy issue here, too. So what happens? There's just a, a kind of underground passing of the information? Well, you know, as a trans woman, I know that the trans community talks, right? Okay. <laughs> we, uh, 
<laughs> we really we really get around and and you know whether it's through online forums or whether it's through you know talking to friends you know that is the way that a lot of uh, this has gone around as word of mouth. But recently, one of our folks at TransHealth had actually done a hotspot analysis of where all our patients are coming from. And they're coming from all over the New England area. It's not just Massachusetts. And so it's pretty astounding. Word of mouth is really spreading. And I think that's also the power of the internet too. Um, a lot of folks will say they heard an interview much like this and they said, oh, I wanna you know, check TransHealth out. Um, you know, other folks might have read an op-ed. Uh, some folks may have gone to our website. We have a ton of resources on our website too. And then there's some folks that say they heard about us in a place like Reddit or some other online form. You know, I think that to me shows how much the community trusts us, right? We're not advertising a single cent. We're not paying to get a message out there. Instead, we're just doing what we do. And people are saying, this is good care. And Katie Wolf, what does it mean to folks when they realize not only is there a center that has affirmed overtly that we are offering affirming care, but that the people offering it are themselves trans? You know, we hear a lot of, I think, relief in people. I, I think that they're delighted to come. And it's also so important to say, you know, parents who may be fearful of what the care looks like for their child to have somebody from our team come in who may be willing to share their story with them and say, mm -hmm. you know what, you may have heard that that really wasn't my experience at all, or it was, and this is how I dealt with it. I think that it generally reduces the anxiety for people. And I think that specifically for our pediatric patients, as Dallas was saying, it's amazing to see successful, competent, kind, people of the community leading their lives and doing so happily in an environment that cares for them. And I think having that com complete ecosystem for people to A, feel more comfortable with the people caring for them and the people in the office, and then also having people who can not just give you medical advice, but may be able to share things they've experienced or people in their community have experienced. It allows our patients, I think, to just relax their shoulders a little bit more and feel like they can communicate more honestly, openly, and productively with their care team. I'm Callie Crossley, and you're listening to Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. My guests are Dallas Ducar, CEO of TransHealth Northampton, and Katie Wolf, COO of TransHealth Northampton. We're discussing their work at the first rural transgender health clinic in the nation. Now, I want to talk about the first in the nation. What does that mean? And are, at this point, you opened just last May, so you're pretty new yourself. Are there folks in place around the country preparing to follow the model that you've set? Or are you going to be pretty much a first in the nation for a while? What's happening, Dallas? Well, I just want to be super clear. I think sometimes when we do say firsts, one, we, we never really know. You know, there might have been some other trans folks who might have been in the closet and started their own clinic, right? Um, and then also, you know, sometimes when we say first, it, it leads to... Um, you know, some other folks instead saying, wait, no, we might have also been the first here. So I think nowadays we try to move away from first and instead say we are a groundbreaking, you know, independent, comprehensive trans healthcare center. And as far as we know, we don't really know of another model like us. We really 
do think we are groundbreaking in this way. You know, I don't, we are independent, right? We are not affiliated with any other large academic medical center or hospital. And that was completely our choice, right? We really decided to do this so that if there was ever a budgetary shortfall, for example, it didn't get diverted away from the small, you know, trans health program in one space to oncology, but instead, all the money remained within the budget, that we could make sure that every single last dollar went back to the trans and gender diverse community, right? So we really wanted to make sure that we were by us and for us in that way. And then we also, again, as kind of mentioned before in this interview, really wanted to be comprehensive here in the services we provided. And that means that one day one of our folks may have an idea for a new service and because we're independent, because we're nimble, because we're flexible, we can say, yeah, let's try that out instead of having to really, you know, go through larger protocols or, or elements of some type of uh, bureaucracy in some way, which is really beneficial as a new business. I will say that, you know, other organizations are looking to us and, and asking, how are you doing this or that? They're contacting us through Twitter. They're saying, hey, can we start a community closet too? There's folks, tons of trans folks all the time that contact me and say, hey, how do I do this? And so that's really inspired, uh, I think, a new model that seems interesting one of a, a spoken hub approach. And this is kind of a long-term vision that I have for TransHealth Northampton, where a place like TransHealth Northampton can really be the hub, can be the center point, right? And then if there are other folks out there that really wanna do this care, but don't exactly know how to get started, say, you know, up in Maine, say, you know, in New Hampshire, say other parts of New England, but even other parts of the nation, right? How can we leverage our own wisdom that we've really begun to understand from the creation period and the startup period? How can we also leverage our capacity and our, our administrative capabilities to then help someone think about a trans health Maine? or a trans health, you know, Alaska, whatever that may be. And I think there's a lot of ways that we can really expand gender affirming care in this model. So that is just one part of the, the larger vision that really excites me. Well, one of the things that uh, you all have made clear is that everything that you've described as part of the physical and then the larger social determinants of healthcare is a part of trans health Northampton in Western Massachusetts. But you say one-tenth of that is advocacy. And when you say advocacy, you mean pushing against some of what's out there now. There have been nine bills that have passed since the start of 2020 that are anti-trans. That's the only way to put it. And it's part of a wave of other anti-trans bills that have been proposed to the country. I want to pay attention to one that just passed in South Dakota. This is South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem in a primetime ad celebrating the bill that will ban transgender girls and college-age women from playing in school sports. In South Dakota, only girls play girls' sports. Why? Because of Governor Kristi Noem's leadership. Noem has been protecting girls' sports for years and never backed down. Noem's steady, conservative leadership doesn't win headlines, it wins results. Now, Governor Nome has a bill that will give South Dakota the strongest law in the nation protecting female sports. Doing the work, delivering results. Governor Christy Nome. Text Christy to 21225 to learn more. So that's the backdrop on which you find yourselves. And so it, it's an intense one for advocacy. Katie, do you want to talk about uh, the part of your mission that is advocacy? 
Sure. And I'll also ask Dallas to comment as she leads a, a lot of this as well. Um, you know, first of all, it's horrible to hear that. And not just in the effect that it has on, you know, trans and non-binary athletes who want to play. But if you're a trans kid, or trans person in South Dakota, what does that say about you? Right. It's demoralizing. It really deeply impacts the community and and every aspect of it. And the fact that this is happening in so many places really does feel like an assault. It is an assault on, on trans folks and trans kids specifically. And so part of what we need to do is to address that as best we can and speak out about it. Um, but I would also say there are a myriad of other policies that also really impact healthcare. We have a patient who's come to us and their parents hold insurance in another state and their insurance has actually carved out that they, that if uh, they were assigned female at birth, they cannot receive testosterone. So their plan is specifically written in that they cannot get the hormones that they need and deserve as a part of their care, as a part of a conversation with their clinician. And we're having to figure out what are the other ways that we can make sure this person gets the medication, the hormones that they need. And so part of our job, if we want to render good care to our patients, is to make sure that we are addressing the needs legally, politically, nationally that impact our patients every day when they come here. Dallas? You know, the politics is personal, especially to me. And, you know, Anyone who says that advocacy and politics don't have a space in healthcare is wrong, especially when it comes to this. The motive is clear. Republicans are using gender identity as a scare tactic. They're using lies and myths to really try to stoke votes. Um, we saw what happened in South Dakota. We saw what happened in Virginia. We see what's happening in New England, up in New Hampshire, with similar bills attempting to be passed. And similar, the divisive concepts ban limiting the ability for providers or teachers to discuss gender in the first place, right? And even Republican governors in Arkansas, for example, Asa Hutchinson says this is a step too far. It's getting in between providers and patients. So we just need to call this what this is, which is really an attack on our fundamental rights as Americans, right? This is an attack on our ability to speak freely and to express ourselves freely for any American, right? This does not just affect trans people because everyone has an inherent relationship to gender at some place. So now, some people may say that we're trying to advance some type of you know, uh, trans agenda in some place, but this is really just affirming care. And it means affirming each human for who they are. And honestly, it's, it's a rebuke to those who tell others how to act and behave. And instead we're saying, we value you for who you are, right? Our mission's one that's really not prescriptive, but one of acceptance. And so in terms of advocacy, we are working right now on a national level with the White House, with uh, different think tanks, with different round tables, with the Primary Care Alliance to really help shape policy that will have a national impact, but then also on a local level too, and a regional level with MassHealth, we've been partnering on how to expand gender affirming care and how to really be good thought partners with other insurers to ensure that we can ensure the best type of healthcare access to trans and gender diverse folks. And then on another level by hiring trans folks, right? We are really ensuring that people have access to a, a stable income, a good job with good benefits, and that they too can have the power to speak out when we need to. And I think by elevating voices in general and bringing all those voices to the table, we can start to truly address the systemic issues rather than just focus on uh, the scare tactics that unfortunately the GOP is using to try to win elections. 
Well, Dallas, as a trans person, when you take a moment, because you helped open this Trans Health Northampton, and just think about, you know, what this means in the evolution of the journey of so many trans people, assuming also yourself, personally, how does it feel? You know, when I first came out, it was in Charlottesville, Virginia, and, you know, I was the only trans person I knew and Virginia at that point. And, um, you know, I, I was in a position of privilege and I was asked to, as a student, to care for trans folks, to help teach, to help perform policies. It was a lot of invisible labor. Um, and it also did feel a little isolating at that time too. I didn't know other trans people, right? And that really, really was difficult. And as I moved up to Massachusetts and I continued on my journey, as I came to be more of my own self, I realized that as a trans woman, we learn so much about our own journeys through the lives of others. We learn, I think most importantly, that it's possible not only to survive, but to thrive. And we learn how to do that by talking to others. We understand that our journey is not some type of aberration, but instead it should be celebrated. And it's a part of the normal human experience, right? And it wasn't until I met other trans people and really were able to be in community that that all changed. And I, I look around now at Trans South Northampton and I see so many amazing people who are being authentically them and able to contribute to a greater mission. And I just think, what better gift is that, right? The ability for us all to work for a better tomorrow and be ourselves in community. And that's, that's really what that means to me. It's, it's something that's, that's almost beyond words in, in a way. It, it really gives me hope for the future. Well, that's a great way to end our conversation. I thank you both for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Dallas Dukar is the founding CEO of Trans Health Northampton and a nurse practitioner. Katie Wolf is the COO of Trans Health Northampton, who specializes in digital health, informatics, and transgender health. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubeli and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Vanessa Handy. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.